You've landed here at episode 137. Have you tried to eat healthy and put down that damn chocolate, the croissant, the lollies, or the ice cream, and it worked for about two days and you basically lost your mind in those two days, only to find yourself back at the bottom of a bag of Doritos or a box of Oreos? If you said yes, well, you're not alone. We've almost all been there, maybe even a few times this year. The question is, why isn't willpower enough? If you've tried reducing the sugar because you know it isn't good for you, you've been gaining weight for a long time, or you've been feeling super depressed and low, and you know that sugar really doesn't help that feeling, then this might be the episode for you as we discuss the reasons that people might not just be a sweet tooth, but are in fact addicted. If you eat in secret or in private or hiding or sneak around with your food, then this may be you. And guess what? Surprisingly, this addiction could be a totally cellular thing and have absolutely nothing to do with childhood trauma at all, which might be quite a relief. If you want to find out where you sit on the addiction spectrum and how to start being that healthy human you've always wanted to be but could never quite achieve, then I'll see you in about 30 seconds. (laughs) Let's dive into it. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? I hope you've had a brilliant week and as you may or may not know when you rock up here... It's my mission to coach 250 men and women to lose weight and be their healthiest self before the end of December 2021. So, today on the show, we have someone that is a bit of a rock star in the sugar space and particularly the sugar addiction space. And unsurprisingly, we connected through the Quit Sugar Summit, which we were both a part of in 2020 and 2021. So, firstly, I want to send out a big thanks to Mike Collins and Danielle Dame for putting on such an amazing summit together, which today's guest has actually appeared on many times before 2020. And so this amazing woman has been a registered nurse since 1973, is an international lecturer in her field of sugar, flour and processed food addiction, and is considered a global authority in the field of addiction. And an addiction specialist, not only by profession, but also experience. Being a successful recovering alcoholic of 35 years and in sugar, flour and processed food recovery for the past 27 years. What an absolute feat. That's a monstrous amount of time. She has not written one book, not two, not three, but five books, three of which are on sugar addiction. And you may or may not be familiar with a couple of their titles in The Sugar Bomb in Your Brain and The Sugar Free Cookbook. So we have someone here that's very much an accomplished author and she's hailing here from Sweden. She has appeared on many radio and TV programs across the last 30 years in Sweden, Norway and Finland, as well as a ton of podcasts and summits all over the world. Using a hybrid mixture of functional medicine and orthomolecular medicine together in combination with American addiction medicine, support group development, 
and traditional medicine, she's developed a number of programs for those that struggle with addiction, including detox and biochemical repair programs and has developed relapse prevention programs, assessment protocols, and she teaches you how to deal with cue-induced cravings based on neuroscience. In addition to all the people that she is helping just like you and I, she also spends a lot of energy certifying the next generation of sugar addiction counsellors and experts by conducting training and certification programs for health professionals in holistic addiction medicine and sugar evaluation. And she is also on the board of the Food Addiction Institute in the USA and regularly answers questions as part of the huge movement that is dietdoctor.com, which includes the likes of Dr. Jason Fung, whom we know and love love here on the show. What a resume. (laughs) So without further ado, I would like to introduce you to this amazing woman, the one and only Bitten Johnson. Welcome to the show, Bitten. How are you? Well, I got a little, you know, my goodness, <laughs> that was horrible to hear in a way. I say, have I done all that? How old am I? <laughs> but I'm pretty old. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You've done so much great work. So that, well, that yeah. list is amazing. Yeah, I know. And it's been many years, you know, uh, I've been in a recovering alcoholic since 1985. And that's when I fell in love with addiction medicine, because there was mm-hmm. nothing about that in Sweden. And I was in US at the time, and I was shocked. It was like, mm-hmm. why have nobody told me about addiction medicine and the brain and dopamine and all that? So that was the start of my deep love for addiction medicine and addicts. You know, mm-hmm. all kinds of outlets. I worked with alcoholics, drug addicts, you know. And is that the place that you, like, where did you make the connection between your experience with alcohol and then realizing that people were addicted to sugar and flour as well? Well, that was seven years into recovery. I, it was 1992. I was listening to Terry Gorski, bless him. He is not, no longer with us here on earth, but he was my mentor. And when I listened to him, he said that alcoholics drug addicts and pill addicts, they keep smoking, drinking a lot of coffee and eating junk food. They relapse very easily compared to the ones that didn't. And that rang a bell in my nursing, you know, medical. And I was thinking, how's that connected? Mm-hmm. You know, because to me, alcoholism and drug addiction was one thing. And, and you know, what, what about? And I thought to myself, oh, Jesus, I need to quit smoking, quit drinking coffee. But thank God I don't have to do anything about the food because I don't eat McDonald's. Mm -hmm. And then you can understand my absolutely limited micro knowledge about nutrition, thinking that it was only McDonald's that was junk food. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was, when I quit smoking, I started eating chocolate and ice cream, chocolate and ice cream. I didn't want food. It was chocolate and ice cream. Mm-hmm. I just binged on my favorite food and got very sick. So 1993 in the summer, I was, you know, I had volatile blood sugar. And the worst thing was the tiredness. I could sleep 14 hours and then I could still almost fall asleep standing up. Mm-hmm. So I understood. And I also, one of the, the key things that I really understood that sugar has the potential of being addiction was that I was hiding, lying, and sneaking with what I ate. Mm-hmm. I didn't eat that openly among friends and family. And so I used to say, uh, you know, there is very sophisticated ways to know if you're addicted, like the sugar instrument I've developed. Mm-hmm. But if you hide, lie, and sneak, you know, you're in trouble. 
nobody hide, lice, and sneak with boiled cod or cucumbers. <laughs> That's what I used to tell my clients. Yeah, and they laugh because they know deep inside that certain foods they have loss of control over. Mm-hmm. At what point does that, like when you're hiding and lying and sneaking with this type of food, at what point is that addiction or an eating disorder or are they one and the same thing? Well, you know, this is the most interesting topic to discuss today because many, uh, it depends on what knowledge you have. If you train an eating disorder, you're going to see it as an eating disorder. Mm. If you have my training with addiction, you look at it from a totally different point of view. Um, You know, if you think of an alcoholic, uh, some alcoholics drink every day, some Mm. drink only on weekends, some binge drink. uh, So, but it's the same illness, they are all alcoholic. You see what I mean? They all have loss Mm -hmm. of control over alcohol. So what many people think is an eating disorder, like starvation, purging, binging, volume eating, they look at as an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. But I don't. I think it is uh, behaviors, the client that are sugar addiction for years, try to control their craving and their addiction. Then I think that some people Mm -hmm. do have an eating disorder, which is more of a symptom of a psychological problem. Addiction is a primary illness. You know, it's not caused by anything. It's caused by your Mm -hmm. brain's love for the drug. And that's why I use this instrument, sugar, to make sure that it is addiction that I'm treating. Then... If I take away mm-hmm. the drug, then of course, all those behaviors I talked about, like starving, dieting, binging, purging, exercising, blah, 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 mm-hmm. uh, they are much easier to deal with. And the most important thing, Maddie, is that if it is addiction, it is 100% abstinent free food plan. If mm-hmm. it is an eating disorder, you can do moderation therapy or uh, like what I call harmful use is what I call that terminology versus Mm -hmm. addiction. So if it is, you know, then you have to ask, why are you doing this? Why do you eat like this or not eat or do this? And then you have to see, is it stress, which is the most common thing, or being Mm -hmm. tired because you leak energy somehow, Mm -hmm. Uh, or that you are in the lifestyle where you're supposed to eat this. Look at all the baking programs on TV. You know, they are really saluting sugar and cakes and cookies and Uh, so (laughs) it's it's very much a lifestyle Uh, and it's celebrating all the time. And so it's not only that you are in misery while you eat, but then harmful use is not addiction. Harmful use behaviors there could be called eating disorders. You have to look for the underlying cause and deal with it. I don't work with those. I've never worked with harmful use or eating disorders. I work with addicts. I help people see if they have an addiction. It's a totally different approach. You were just talking about um, the sugar and the way that people perceive it and and interact with it and how you don't deal with, you know, eating disorders, but you deal with addiction. And you also use the word drug. Now, in my experience, when I use the word drug in association with sugar, people roll their eyes and they think I'm some hippie that thinks that the sugar industry has got a big conspiracy against them. But can you please share with the listeners you know, why exactly this is a drug and it's on the same level as alcohol and ecstasy and cocaine and those types of things? Well, I could just uh, say one thing that when I was working a nurse in the 
you know, with uh, newly born babies, when we were to take a blood sample in their heel, which is called PayQU here, it's a very important blood sample you check, uh, you know, we always gave them a painkiller, which was 30% sugar solution, which, uh, you know, and, and if you understand that, you can take the step further. Sugar doesn't go up. We didn't put it on the heel mm-hmm. where we were puncturing them. We gave it in their mouth. So uh, the effect is in the brain. So, I mean, that's just a small thing you you can look at. So anyway, everybody knows that sugar has the effect of making you high or numb Mm -hmm. or uh, pain-free or whatever, you know. So it works on the reward center. We are wired in that way. Mm -hmm. That's a fact. So you can't argue that, period. So if uh, the uh, the food today, which is processed food, is loaded with sugar. I mean, when I grew up, I'm born 52. You know, we didn't have a lot of candy or goodies or we could get a soda mm-hmm. twice a year on a big holiday, uh, you know, and, and it was very rare. So I grew up on very good food, but we had sugar lumps mm-hmm. in the coffee and we had buns and cookies and that so we could eat that. Uh, so, of course, we liked it and we wanted it. And some of us react stronger to it. We get a heightened effect in our reward center. We feel really good mm-hmm. because it releases tremendous amount of dopamine, which other drugs do. So if you compared, compare it to other psychoactive drugs, it acts exactly the same. And we know that today, you know, with a lot of studies. So... People that, that, I used to say about people that say sugar addiction is not real. I said, oh, are you a member of the Flat Earth Society? (laughs) That's my take on it. I don't argue with them because you can't argue with people that have an opinion. Mm -hmm. I like to talk to people that have insights. It's a waste of time trying to do that. Because why do they defend that? Because they might have... uh, addiction themselves. They're defending their own behavior. You know, that could be the case that they're defending the drug. They could have stock in the food industry. Uh, They really don't want to lose their lifestyle. Uh, You know, so there are a lot of reasons why people don't accept it. Yeah, absolutely. But we know it's true. So that's that's it. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. And yeah, it really does change the brain and the way that we think and and so yeah. interesting that they used to give it to babies at the opposite end of the body from where the pain was being caused. Yes, yes. There's lots of studies on that, but it is a painkiller. It releases neurochemicals. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I can imagine most people, without even realizing it, use it in their day-to-day life as a painkiller, particularly for emotional pain. Exactly. Well, you know, most people use it actually because they are tired. But, you know, what does make people tired? Well, using sugar. (laughs) So it's a vicious circle because if you eat food that your body have a hard time dealing with that is toxic, and I'm not only talking about the brain. I mean, you know about the pancreas, insulin, microbiome in your stomach. We could go on and on and on, Mm -hmm. you and I. You know, because it plays havoc with your whole body. And I used to joke and say to people, you know, everything is connected in your body. You can't separate, you know, your stomach from your brain, from your Mm -hmm. pancreas, from your thyroid, from blah, blah, blah. Uh, Everything is totally connected and communicates every second. Mm -hmm. 
every day, whether you sleep or awake. Your body is a very living organism. Yeah. And they go, yeah, yeah, you're right about that. So, uh, you know, and and all the chemicals, the processed food today is, excuse my French here, but I used to say it's a chemical shitstorm. And, you know, you have to almost be an engineer to understand what they put in there. And it is, it says fruit juice, that's fructose. That's very, very, very bad for your liver. Uh, and, you know, it's saccharose. And, and today I think there are 99 different names for sugar. Yeah. It used to be 30 many years ago, many years, not so many years ago. So anyway, um, you know, nobody, I used to say to you, nobody die from eating real food, <laughs> you know, things that have one ingredient. In an egg, there's only egg. In a piece of meat, there's only meat and so forth. So if you stick to that, you know, you give your body what it needs. And one thing that I really know for sure is that, uh, you know, the brain takes 25% of the, all the energy that you are putting in your mm-hmm. on a day. So if you, you can't go to the yard store, you know, to buy material to build your brain. Yeah. And, you know, if you garbage in, garbage out, right? So if you eat this chemical compound that is incredibly good and addictive and you can't stop eating it, you're going to be sick. That's just it. So you have to feed your brain real food. There is no other way around it. And uh, here is the key thing to helping people understand that they don't eat because they're unhappy. Their whole organism is unhappy because they eat in a way that depletes the happy hormones, neurotransmitters. So it start, they don't start eating because they're unhappy. Nobody two, three, four years old uh, start connection, doing the connection to eat because they're unhappy for mm-hmm. something. But you become unhappy and then you eat to numb being unhappy and tired, and then you get more unhappy and tired, and then you eat more. Do you see the vicious circle? Yeah, absolutely. So that's very important for because they say to me, yeah, I eat because my husband left me, or I eat because I don't have enough money, which is crazy. Put money on that then. But, you know, people, to be an addict, Maddie, is so crazy. You really don't understand why you do these stupid things, whether it's alcohol or drugs or sugar, flour and all that. So you have to make excuses for it because you don't understand why you time and time again go back to eat in a way that doesn't, you know, help what you really want. You want to be alert. You want to be healthy. You want to be slim or, you know, anyway, not, you don't want to be overweight. Mm -hmm. And still, you lose weight, you gain weight, you lose weight, you gain weight, you you get healthier, you get sick. And, and then when you look back on your life and you see that pattern, it's so painful and so much grief. So you have to come up with excuses. Mm-hmm. But, you know, all it is is a reward center that wants to drug. So the day you accept that, that that's happening in you, your reward center has developed the addiction and now you're stuck. You're like, uh, you know, missile seeking, you know, seeking the target. Uh, And your brain is hijacked. And uh, once you understand that and accept it, that's when recovery can take place. 
You have that enemy in you. You are not a bad person. Let me point that out. You're not lousy. You don't have low character. You're not stupid. You're none of those. Uh, The way you behave due to the addiction will make you feel like that in front of yourself, that you're lousy, you're a failure, but you're not. Mm -hmm. You have this enemy, which I call the red dog, by the way, Uh, comes from an Indian story that I love. Uh, You know, this red dog is making you do these things. It's seducing Mm -hmm. you. Oh, we can do it today. We can start tomorrow or Monday or after the vacation and blah, blah, blah. Because it wants to drag. Mm. That's how simple it is. It's too simple. People tell me, that sounds simple. I said, it is simple. That's why it's so easy to indulge in that behavior all the time. Yeah, yeah. So once you accept that, you can start doing things that will counteract it. Because this is an illness. You can't talk yourself out of it. You have to act different. Mm-hmm. It's easy to stop, but it's very hard to stay stopped. So that's why, it, well, they told me in the beginning of my recovery, they said to me, well, well, you know, this is easy. All you have to do is change everything in your mm-hmm. life. And I but fainted and thought that's impossible. But if you have guiding, you have a good toolbox that somebody helps you to get, to teach mm-hmm. you, you follow the, win- the ones that went ahead of you and you take it one day at a time. You can do it. Anyone can do it. So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating, and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. I think it's really interesting that you say that it's that this simple sort of red dog and I really like that analogy because a lot of the um, food psychology sort of perspective and the eating disorder perspective is that these behaviors are self-punishing because of like childhood trauma or some kind of catastrophic event that happened in our life. What's your perspective on that? Well, uh, there's probably people that have that, but I never work with them. I work with the ones that I know from the tool I've done that uh, the first symptoms comes around four or five years of age, Mm -hmm. you know, and so many people have told me they have gone to therapy and tried to dig up a trauma that should explain their crazy behavior, but they can't find anything. I've heard the same thing. Because they keep repeating this. So, you know, when it comes to addiction, 
I like to quote Carlton Erickson, one of my favorite researchers, and he has done research on alcohol, but alcohol and sugar addiction are exactly the same, just different outlets. Uh, you know, uh, you can't ask an addict why. The question why should be asked with harmful use. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's been so important for me to do these interviews with people to see, is it harmful use? I refer them, go to somebody else. I don't work with that, mm-hmm. you know. If it is addiction, oh boy, I know exactly what to do here. Do you see? Yeah. And it doesn't mean that many addicts do not have any trauma. I don't grow up with any trauma. I was sugar addicted from I was a kid. I uh, was smoking and I was drinking. There is no trauma you can dig up in my, I had a normal childhood. Mm -hmm. Of course, I could have had more tools of certain kinds and it wasn't perfect, but there was no specific trauma to deal with. Uh, I met sugar addicts that had been, you know, uh, having severe traumas in their life, but it wasn't that that caused addiction. It was them getting the drug early on their brain. So, you Mm -hmm. know, the addiction came before the trauma. And that's, that's what you see with the sugar tool. That's why it's so important to understand that. And even if you have severe traumas, you have to work with addiction first, because if you don't take away the drug, nothing can be healed. Nothing. Yeah, and then it's interesting because the relationship that you have with the drug then creates a trauma cycle of you punishing yourself for staying addicted to the drug. <laughs> yes, yes. And also you don't solve stress issues, relationship issues, trauma. You can't work through your issues if you keep taking the drug because it rewires your brain in a very negative way. Mm -hmm. So you have to take away the drug and you have to heal your brain. And then if there is something left of the trauma or pain, then you go to therapy. Mm -hmm. That's the way you work with addicts. Yeah, right. I I know that our listeners are probably hearing for the first time you refer to flour in the same category. Now, we've had lots of people on the show talking about sugar addiction and the way that it affects our brain and our cells, but flour and bread and croissants and all of these products, like why are they included in this same category? Well, it's starch. Starch and sugar is the same thing. If you Google it up, you know, when you chew on a piece of bread, it becomes sugar in your mouth. So starch is sugar molecules holding hands. They break apart when you eat them. (laughs) So that's how easy it is. Rice, potatoes. And so based on that standpoint that, you know, all of those sugary foods or starchy foods are just under the same umbrella, does that mean that your nutritional advice is in a low-carb ketogenic category? Absolutely. Uh, You could put it this way. Sugar addicts are very, very carb-sensitive So, you know, uh, that's why we take away most of the carbs and we eat, you know, fat, protein and veggies and veggies above ground. Mm -hmm. Then the the difficult thing, Maddie, is when you have a client that has an addiction, sugar addiction, is to know each individual's biochemical uniqueness, how much, you know, what should the fuel mix be? Mm. Uh, you know, between those macronutrients like, you know, fat, protein and veggies, carb, which is then carbs. But, and that's the tricky part. So each client has to try, you know, to, and, and what I like to do before, you know, before I understood all of these things many years ago, 
we used to do a food diary and we, you know, looked at how you felt. Were you depressed? Were you sad? Were you tired? Which, you know, is all lack of energy. So the mm-hmm. only thing I tell my clients today, well, I don't work with clients anymore because I train professionals, but I tell professionals to teach the clients then. So do a food journal and, you know, test within, you know, that limit of, of food and see what's your energy level. And also you have to understand that it takes months and months for the brain to heal, to rewire. And mm-hmm. actually, you know, I saw a study that long-term use of sugar and flour makes the same damage to neurons and plasticity in the brain as long-term use of alcohol. So it's not, you know, a quick fix to mm-hmm. heal from, you know, maybe years and years of eating these foods. I would say it takes 12, 18, uh, 24 months to really be stable and heal. So mm-hmm. during that time, you know, you work on just healing yourself one day at a time before you do any major changes in your life. Um, and you learn to live one day at a time with eating your new food plan. Mm-hmm. And that's what a lot of people have a hard time uh, seeing. And some say, oh, I can never eat that. And I said, no, you cannot think like that. You have to think just for today, I'm not going to eat it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a tool that helped me most. That every morning I said, no matter what comes my way, I'm going to stick to my food plan, my low-carb keto food plan. Mm-hmm. Because nothing is going to be better if I go back to the junk, yeah, to the drug. You know, so it's amazing how many years you can be in recovery by doing it only 24 hours at a time. So that's what we do. Uh, But of course, it's very important to listen to some people have a harder time with more fat. Some thrive on more fat. Uh, some, Some needs less fat, more protein. And you have to help them to guide them to finding and feeling their own fuel mix. So with some of the clients that I've worked with, it's been very apparent to me and obvious to me that they do much better from a neurotransmitter and hormonal perspective with carbohydrates in their diet. So is that a nutritional factor as to how you navigate the nutrition for women particularly? Well, you know, this is the thing you have to find out. Uh, And some people don't, some women don't do well with really high fat and some do. Mm -hmm. So you have to thread slowly and then the risk that you always have when you add carbohydrates, you have to be very aware what type of carbohydrate you add to these women because it's, you know, a rocky road if they're going to relapse and then you lose everything you built and everything you healed. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, let me put it this way. Sugar addicts are extremely carb sensitive. Mm Mm-hmm. So you can't, you know, throw like a lot of high uh, carb stuff at them. But I would never use bread or bread like products since most of them love that drug. Mm -hmm. So then it has to be beans, sweet potatoes, you know, some starch, other starchy veggies and that type of thing, but not flour and not keto substitutes like, you know, keto desserts and Many of them trigger on milk products, not ghee Mm -hmm. or butter. Most can handle that. But whipped cream, 
sour cream, cheese. That can be a real bad trigger for sugar addicts. Mm, that's good to know, especially because yeah. a lot of those keto, the keto brand is very much uh, commercialized and full of yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, branding and marketing yeah. and advertising yeah. and it's not really ketogenic. No, no. So that's why I'm saying, you know, eat food with only one ingredient, then you're safe. Yeah. Real natural food. And I assume that's to avoid those cue-induced cravings that those products would trigger? Exactly, exactly. They can trigger uh, by seeing them, you know, on TV or on the screen, like chocolate cakes or bread mm-hmm. or the smell of freshly baked bread, uh, you know, that trigger. And these are things that happen physiologically in your brain. Mm. It's not psychology. So a craving is, you know, physiological. It's like, you know, you get some dust in your nose and you sneeze. Mm -hmm. It's very physiological. So that's why you have to learn where your limits are. And also the later you come into recovery, the more stable you are. Mm -hmm. You know, early in recovery, a lot of things can trigger you, but it gets better and better and better. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you have to roll with it and you have to respect that and really start, you know, giving your body time to heal. Be kind to your body. You can't push it. I used to say, if you see a wildflower as a bud out in nature, it's not going to grow any faster because you pull it. You <laughs> you probably break it. Yeah. <laughs> so time takes time is one thing, you know, and, and this is the tricky part to go through this desert walk. Mm-hmm. You know, in the beginning, when things will trigger you and you have to change your way of behaving in life and not go out to the cafes or go, you, all the things you used to do, uh, sit in front of the TV or eat, or like I did, I love to eat in the car because I was alone. Yeah. So that was great. You know, and then you have to learn. So, of course, just put, getting in the car to drive. Uh, started the craving because Pablo's dog, you know. Mm-hmm. So I was like, "Ooh, here's where I sit and eat." So I had to bring other things to eat, or you know, listen to a book, or I had to start doing other things. And in the beginning, they were not fun because you don't have a pathway, you know, neurons that fire together wire together. Mm-hmm. So there was no good pathway. There was like an 18 lane highway in my reward center. (laughs) And then there were little trails, you know, for other stuff. So of course that wasn't fun, but the more I walked the trail, the more lanes I could create on the new trains, trails, and, you know, be happy doing other things. Uh, People say, oh, that's no fun. I don't want to do that. But when I suggest, why don't you start doing this or hobby or blah, blah, blah. And oh, it's no fun. I know it's not fun because you don't have a pathway for it. You have to do it 50 times, 100 times, then it's going to be fun. Yeah. You know, that's the kind of work you have to do. And the best way to do that is to have buddies around you, a friend that you walk with, a friend that you share a passion for maybe, like I love to grow roses in my little tiny uh, garden uh, Mm. and learn about roses and talk to other rose uh, growing people and so forth. Yeah. Uh, So, you know. Uh, so it takes a while uh, to get the passion for living and do a lot of fun things in life than uh, just sitting locked up in front of TV or in the car and munching uh, food that's going to kill your health. 
And so you're suggesting that, uh, and this sounds like something that I do with my clients as well, is that when you talk about the desert walk, you're talking about the, the use of willpower, but the way to make that desert walk not a desert walk is to rotate the previous behaviors out with new behaviors and new experiences so that you're not just sitting there being like, oh, I've got to use my brain to stop me doing the thing. You can actually distract yourself and build new pathways and move forward into different habits. Yeah, and I call that feeding the blue dog, Mm -hmm. you know, and not listening to the red dog and also gossip on the red dog. If the red dog is talking to you very seductively, call somebody else that's doing the same trip as you, probably is ahead of you. What did you do when the red dog attacked you? You know, and maybe make a joke about it. I mm-hmm. I love a sen- good sense of humor. You know, is that oh the red dog is visiting today and he thinks that we should da 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 da. Sure, babe, and you know just tell him okay. I'm not going to fight you. I hear you're here. I see you in my mind. You know what? We're not going to do that today. Mm-hmm. So you might as well go to bed, you know, go in your basket and we talk tomorrow. So tomorrow I might be much stronger. Or if I have another day of cravings, I say the same thing. You know, we can't do it today. We do it tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Today I'm busy with other things, you know. Uh, So, uh, of course, you're not going to have bad cravings every day for the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. They will go away. The more you learn, the more tools you have. But we say that willpower is not enough. You can't to try to use willpower on this. It's like holding a Pilatus ball under the water. Uh, (laughs) You're going to be tired in your arms. It's going to pop up in your face. Uh, The important thing is to let go and realize you can't control this food. So that's why one bite is way too much and thousands are never enough. Mm -hmm. So you have to understand that power it has because it's going to change you. One bite and you're off running. Mm-hmm. So what can you do instead? And there is a whole protocol we use with glutamine powder and coconut oil in the beginning between meals and, you know, da, 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 da. So there's a lot of things you can uh, do in the toolbox. Uh, but the important thing is to see that every day you go to bed and you're grateful for another drug-free day, you have rebuilt your brain. <laughs> it's an exciting you point. You've your brain. Yes, it is. It is. You're thinking, you know, you're thinking, you see little neurons, you know, connecting with each other, starting new pathways. And and here is the thing that that's what's going to make you get your energy back. Mm -hmm. Because people said, oh, I'm so tired. I'm so depressed. I don't want to do anything else. I have no energy doing that. I said, sure. That's because you have been eating food that took the energy. But if you start, it's not going to come back tomorrow. It's not going to do in 24 days, 24 hours. So every day you're going to be looking in the evening at one thing you're grateful for, Mm -hmm. you know, that day. No matter how much withdrawal or keto flu or whatever you want to call that, uh, you feel today, just pick up something. You maybe had a very good dinner or you had a good chat with somebody about this or you took a beautiful walk outside Whatever. You mm-hmm. kissed your dog, pet your cat, whatever. Uh, be grateful for the small things and think, oh, 24 more hours gone. Get a good night's sleep and go on to next day. 
Oh, I think that's beautiful. And there's so many people listening and you've shared so many great insights and tips and perspectives on this. And I know that there's a lot of people that probably consider themselves addicted to sugar as we know they are. So yeah. where can everybody find you and your information and content online? Well, if they go to my website, bittensaddiction.com and help available, you know, if you go there, there mm-hmm. is a PDF that you can download and you can also join the support group I started quite some time ago. It's called Sugar Bomb in Your Brain mm-hmm. on Facebook. Uh, there is a group. Uh, join that. And I have very good admins uh, adding a lot of good stuff when people talk about good things there. The only thing is you're not allowed to post pictures of the drug or mention the drug because it causes craving in people. Mm-hmm. So you can say the drug or you can say sugars or whatever but not actual pictures. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, you know, we want you to learn from there and, you know, which books you can read and so forth. There's a lot of information there. And the Sugar-Free Cookbook is another web uh, group on Facebook. Uh, so there are, you know, close groups that you can join where you can uh, ask all the questions. And also, if you see, if you go to the PDF with all the people I train, you can see... Uh, a column that say S slash L, that means sugar certified and licensed. So those people can help you to really know if you're addicted and how your addiction has uh, given you consequences through the years so that you can start somewhere with a good treatment plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's the best thing to do always to, you know, I used to say, if you're going to go somewhere in the woods, and you have a map, it's good to know where you are on the map before you start walking. Yeah, I totally agree. That's great. So for for everybody listening, I will put all of the links in the show notes down below uh, so that you can scroll down to the show notes and and, uh, jump onto any of Bitten's content and join her Facebook groups. They're all amazing. And so just before we finish Bitten, if there's one piece of information that somebody was going to take away from our conversation today... What is one piece of information that you wish more people would know about? If you uh, think you have an addiction, it's not your fault. It's a biochemical thing that's happened in your brain. You have not caused it and you can be free. That's what I like people to understand. That's when you stretch out your hand to get help. I love that. It's not your fault. That's amazing. Bitten, thank you so much for joining me. It's been so great and I admire you so much. So I'm so grateful that you've spent some time with me having a conversation. It was an honor to be with you, Maddie. And I loved hearing about your story when we started too. Oh, you're more than welcome. And you're always welcome back on the show too. Okay. (laughs) Thank you very much. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use. And we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much and I'll see you on the next episode. Whilst the presenter that feature on this podcast endeavour to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.